You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. We're starting a new summer series, which is so exciting, uh, on Jesus and prayer. If you missed uh, Josh's introduction to prayer last week, it was one of the best talks I've heard on prayer in a long time. So I really recommend you uh, listen to that on all our uh, platforms. And, um, and we've called this series Jesus Teachers to Pray. And we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer. We're going to be going through it uh, line by line, week by week. And it's the prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples and the prayer that Jesus gives to us. And so we're going to be looking at these 53 words which I can promise you will transform your life. And we're going to be camping in this for the next um, six weeks. And so if you'd like to turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, and we're just going to read the prayer. Matthew 6, verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Friends, we are living in extraordinary times. Times where, if I'm honest, I don't know a lot of the time how to pray. Um, my daughter, um, one of my daughters five just in the middle of the night, last night, um, she'd had a, a demonic dream, woke me up in the middle of the night, and um, she said to me these words, Dad, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. And so we sat on uh, the staircase, and we prayed together, and we prayed this prayer together. And she went straight back to sleep, and uh, woke up this morning uh, in a good mood, which is a bonus. And... Uh, <laughs> Hey, your breakfast and everything is like a miracle. And I said, what happened? She said, I just had, went straight back to sleep and had great dreams. And we aren't just in an era of change. We're in a change of era. It was Lenin that said, there are decades where nothing happens and there are weeks where decades happen. And it feels like our world our country, our families, our lives, our hearts are, are often in disarray, are in turmoil. And Jesus has given to us, as followers of him, as the church, these 53 words to pray. Whether you're in despair right now or you are thriving, where you're disappointed or full of joy, where you have no direction or you're full of purpose, this prayer is for you. Now let me give you a picture, a prophetic picture of what I believe this series is going to do for a number of us. It's what I felt like God speak to me about. I watched a, a video recently of an extreme sport called ice freediving. As if freediving didn't sound terrifying enough, there are now people who want to do it under ice. And uh, I really recommend you don't watch the video. Because <laughs> I, I had like a panic attack after I watched it. It's horrible. But in this, in this video, a couple of guys head out to a frozen lake 
in Czech Republic, and it's in the dead of winter, and they cut two large holes in the crystal clear ice. And uh, this guy uh, lowers himself down into the freezing cold water, takes deep breaths, and begins to swim under the ice. And there's a moment as he's heading towards the other opening, he's uh, breath is running out, and he begins to drift off course. And if you watch the video, you've got his team who are st- stamping on the ice, trying to redirect him to safety. And that's the panicky moment. And it's amazing, a simple 1% drift can be catastrophic in a matter of seconds and you, as you miss the exit of the ice. And so swimming under, of course, in those freezing conditions, you become disorientated and fear sets in. Um, but they're prepared for a moment like this and they've, they've fed between the two holes a guide rope. It's a brilliant yellow rope. And in that moment of panic, he reaches out to the rope and he finds this guide rope and it leads him to the exit. And he rises and takes a deep breath. And I wonder, just kind of as a metaphor, as a picture, as an illustration prophetically, is that for many of us in life, we feel like that right now. It's kind of like we're swimming under this icy water. We're surrounded, suffocating, even in a world of fear and anxiety and loneliness and lostness, and I don't know what moment you have coming here today, but maybe you're swimming under the ice, and it's like you can't find a way out. Let me say there is hope, and it is a rope, and it's leading you to a free, open, spacious place where you can take a deep breath of real air, and this is called prayer. And that rope is like the Lord's prayer, wanting to lead us to a place of power. Really from a place of being disorientated to a place of power and purpose. And it's about getting us depending on Jesus again. I really believe that's what the Lord is wanting to do with us over this summer period, is get us depending on him and him alone again. And I was reminded, I mentioned this last week, I think it was in the prayer time, about the story of Jacob wrestling with God. And he said this, I will not let you go until you bless me. And there's a sense of like the Lord's prayer, that place of prayer of holding on to that rope. It's like, I will not let go of that rope. There are many other ropes I could hold on to. But I will not let go of that rope until you bless me. And I know for many of you, like me and my family, there are areas of our lives that we need tremendous breakthrough in. It's like we've hit a ceiling. It's like maybe it's an area of our marriage, maybe it's an area with our kids, maybe it's with our identity, maybe it's with our emotions, our mental health, our spirituality, our finances. I don't know where it finds you today, but I believe the answer is in the Lord's Prayer. And God graciously is extending this rope to us and say, hold on and do not let go until I bless you. And you know that the blessing comes from him. It's so easy in a westernized society where consumerism rules the society and the culture we live in to depend on other things. We don't need God when we have other things. 
And yet there are many things in our society right now which is causing us to feel a sense of grief and a sense of being bereft. And it's in that place of weakness and brokenness and dependence that we come to Christ again. And so I believe the call of Christ is to come back to him once again. So let me ask you a question as we begin. Who taught you how to pray? You see, our prayers are often shaped, aren't they, by our culture, by our background, by our view of self. Ultimately, our view of who we think God is. We've been influenced by other people. And so if you're here and you've just started on your faith journey, and maybe you've heard us pray on a Sunday, or you've gone to a home group, or someone has prayed with you, or you come to one of our prayer meetings, it's like you're being modeled right now, what does it mean to pray? Maybe from denominational influences, your church background, the books that we've read, the experiences that you've had, and maybe some of that actually hasn't been helpful. Because there are actually bad ways to pray, do you know that? Because Jesus tackles this, and we'll look at this over the coming weeks at various points, but he tackles this before he reads, before he talks about how to pray. And he talks about showing off. And he talks about babbling on. Have you ever been in a prayer meeting where someone's babbling on? Or there's hypocrisy or mixed motives in our heart. There's, there's many bad ways how to pray. And here we have at least some kind of recipe. It's a key to unlock all the riches of prayer. And I think it's untapped for many of us because of its familiarity. I don't know about you, but when I was at primary school in the 80s, we used to recite the Lord's Prayer in our school assemblies. And it was a secular school. It wasn't a Christian school. And yet it was the thing to do. I think we actually sang Shine, Jesus, Shine, which was amazing. It's a song about revival. And we also recited the Lord's Prayer prayer and so I think because it's familiar maybe we don't know the power of it and here's an invitation to share in the prayer life of Jesus himself in Luke's account they're asking teachers how to pray we've seen Jesus how you live your life we want to know what is the secret to your power teachers to pray they didn't say Lord teachers how to, you know, as Josh said last week, to walk on water or turn water into wine. Any of these, they could have asked anything, but Lord teaches how to pray. And Jesus is giving us an insight into how he prays, and we will never graduate beyond Jesus' explicit revelation on prayer. And I don't know about you, but I want to learn from him. If you think about someone who's a great guitarist or a great singer or a great footballer or whatever, you say to them, I want to learn from you. Will you teach me? And they want to know from Jesus, look, how do we pray? And I don't know about you, but I'm really curious. I'm really interested and fascinated to know, God, how, how do we pray to you? How do we pray to you? And the Lord's Prayer is a, is a gateway. It's an entrance. It's a door to a whole other world called the kingdom of heaven. It is connecting us, and this is amazing, particularly in our world where there is a hunger for spirituality in our culture right now. It's connecting us to a world that is beyond our humanness. And so each of these intentional words from Jesus are keys that unlock 
the door, and through that door is God himself. There is something more powerful than longing for answers to prayer, and it is God himself, an encounter with him. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity put it like this, it is more like a hall out of which doors open into several rooms. If I can bring anyone into that hall, I shall have done what I attempted, but if it is in the rooms, not in the hall, that there are fires and chairs and meals. The hall is a place to wait in, a place from which to try the various doors, not a place to live in. And maybe our prayer life, maybe our relationship, our fellowship with Jesus right now is like us sitting in a hall rather than entering into these rooms and dining with him. And we're up against it, aren't we? Because the world's culture and way right now is to draw you into instant access. You can have whatever you want and you can have it now. Everything is downloadable. Everything is instant. And it's fueled a sense of impatience in our lives. And it's no different in the church. You may have heard the phrase microwave Christianity. We even struggle maybe to wait for the presence of God among us because we want things now. There's an expectation we've been formed and discipled by culture that we, we need to have things now. I remember complaining in a McDonald's restaurant once because I didn't come in five minutes. <laughs> and and we, that, that's not a good thing. Just to tell you that's a confession of sin. I'm, I, I was thinking I'm going to go and complain. But that's because of human nature and the society that we're in. But friends, I really believe that real treasure... Real beauty, real growth can only ever be found in the place of seeking, of waiting, of trusting, of digging. We need less copying other people. We need less opinions, less fake, and more depth and revelation and authenticity that stands the test of time. And it's only for those that will commit to digging and excavation to look for treasure. The treasure, the pearl of great price, the treasure is Jesus himself. And though he has given it all so that we can have holy access to him through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus, and his blood shed, there is something about seeking the face of God. Our hearts have got to be in a posture where we're hungry and thirsty to seek after God. Maybe you've only thought about seeking God until you've found faith. But I want to tell you, the journey only begins once you've found faith. That's what the Psalms are all about, seeking God. Jesus encourages us to ask and to seek and to knock and to be persistent, like the persistent widow. We're to persevere under trial. We're to long for God. I really believe that the, the, the power and the treasure can be found through prayer is only found with our commitment to digging and excavation. This is what the Lord's Prayer does. It is a recipe. It is a template of how to pray. The words are important, but how to pray because behind every word and behind every Sentence and line is great depth 
and power. There is so much more. The most important thing is therefore the start. Because it's who. And this is what today's all about. The who. We've got to get the who right. Who God is, is the most important question. So let's begin. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We're just going to look at that this morning. You know, how we begin anything in life is really the most important. Do you agree? From silly things to getting your top button done up right on your shirt to the birth of a baby. Think about the start of any building project, as, as Fee talked about, or the foundations. This is like the most work will be done on the foundations and behind the scenes. Why? Because we don't want the building to fall apart in five years' time. The start of a sports race. We've been, I've been watching Wimbledon, the serve of a tennis player. The start of a relationship before potential marriage, the opening line of a song in a performance, beginnings, starts, foundations are crucial. When you sit down to write a really important letter, maybe a love letter or a covering letter for a job or a letter of apology or establishing contact for the first time after years, whatever it is, beginnings and starts are foundational to everything. And this is about the who, the approach of prayer. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. And it's a term, let's be honest this morning, that is colored by one's own relationship to their human father. Our personal relationship with our human father will definitely either help or hinder our perception of our heavenly father. There's a lot of talk at the moment, particularly in the Church of England in the last couple of weeks about adjusting this language. Because we recognize the brokenness in society, that is true when it comes to fatherlessness and the perception of fatherhood. But we don't ever change God to appease culture or to appease our brokenness. It's actually when we discover how wonderful and how good our Heavenly Father is, that's the place of healing, to fix our brokenness. And for me, I had just the best dad. I have the best dad. He's a wonderful father, a role model. And I know my discipleship, one of the most formational things in my discipleship has been the relationship with my own human father, and therefore how I see how good God is. But I know that's not the case. I know, sadly, pastoral ministry over the years, I'm in the minority. So even hearing this today about our Father in heaven may be tough for some of you, and I, I, want, I want us to go on the slow process, the slow work of God to get healing and breakthrough in that area. May this series be a tremendous balm of healing to the wounds that exist in your heart. I really pray that. Because our world needs good fathers and good role models. It's hard enough in the church, never mind in society, meeting broken sons and daughters because of their relationship with their dad. And so we've got a lot to talk about that, but here, our Father in heaven 
It's this family imagery which speaks of intimacy, doesn't it? Jesus approached God as Father, and now he's saying because of the blood of his son through his death that we now can enter into that place and call him. Like Jesus called him Father, we can now call him Father. We're talking about the creator of the world, the perfect holy God. And we get to have such wonderful access to him. And it's this both and, isn't it? It's, and that's why I think it says in heaven, it's a reminder of his transcendence and greatness and, and just wonder and awe and reverence and the fear of God we should have. And yet there's this beautiful intimacy we have with him. It's both and, it's not either or. It's intimacy and imminence and grace. And this has been established for us in that covenant. And yet he is perfect and to be revered. And so it's kind of this intimacy without sentimentality. And it's this reverence without austerity and severeness, which often we can associate with God. I love this verse, these verses in Galatians 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So church, you've got to know, when we come to prayer, who you're coming to. When my kids talk to me, what they say to me is all dependent on who they think that I am. How they speak to me and what they ask for will be dependent on my character and nature. Your heavenly father is perfect. Your heavenly father is generous. Your heavenly father is loving. And because he loves us, he disciplines those that he loves, which means he's always about our best not what's just good for us. That's why he hates sin, because sin destroys our lives and our purpose and potential. And that's why he'll never, ever compromise on that stuff, because he's a good father, and he knows what he wants for his kids. He's just, he is who he is. He doesn't change. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. So our, our birth and our death are seen to God already in one moment. How awesome is that? He knows your thoughts before you even think them, before you even pray. He is all-seeing, he's protective, he's holy, he's loving, he's on the throne. And when you pray, just think for a moment, when you pray to God, who do you think you're praying to? If you're honest, who do you think you're praying to? In the core, deep on the inside, can you trust him? Can you trust your heavenly father with everything? Is he good? Is he even good? Does he even like you? What does he feel about you? When you pop into, in inverted commas, the holy of holies, what is he thinking about you? Never mind anyone else. We all have this complex where we think the other person is God's favorite. And we're just in a place often of shame. Who is God to you deep on the inside of you? You know, I can only have a small glimpse of this, but when my kids come and 
give me a cuddle and sit on my lap and tell me their heart's desires. I love it. As a father, human father, I only get a glimpse of this. That is my favorite thing in all the world. And so I actually think people have the wrong view of God, so that affects how they pray and what they pray. It's like we come to God, and it's, even if we don't say it, maybe innately, it's like, I'm sorry to even bother you, God. You're, you're probably mad at me. How about that? Oh, Lord, I, I'm in a bit of a pickle. Can you maybe, if you have time, help me out? It's like God, to you, maybe like a cosmic policeman or... Maybe he's a benevolent grandfather or maybe just even a slot machine. We just give him our list and hope things come our way. I want to encourage you to get to know your heavenly father. Because knowledge of God through the scriptures is one of the greatest foundational points for our discipleship and our prayer. You can't rush over this. We access the same intimacy as Jesus did. Jesus would pray to the Father, now he's saying to the disciples and saying to us, hey, you can do that too. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, and we'll come on to this, it almost seems quite demanding. Have you noticed the list of imperatives? But kids are demanding. My kids don't beat around the bush. They just come and tell me, what they want. And that's a good thing because they understand who I am. And so there's a reason, there's a confidence and there's a boldness to pray audacious prayers to him because we know who he is. When you have a revelation of how good he is and how generous he is, you have no, no means to ever hold back. I was with some friends last week and there's me, Joni, two of our kids and our friends are, are not Christians, they're, they're, one of them's atheist, one of them's agnostic. So we sit down for lunch. I'm ready to tuck in and my five-year-old says, Dad, are you going to pray to Jesus? Oh, don't do this to me, come on. <laughs> it's my day off as well, it's a Friday. The reality is, I prayed. That's the end of the story. I prayed. Children don't beat around the bush. They say what they think. That's what we're going to be like with God. You know, just say it. Tell him. If you struggle with that, and you're maybe you're new to faith, I suggest you put a contact in your phone called Jesus. Why do you WhatsApp him? And send him a message. Now, if you get a reply, that's a miracle, and we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about that in our notice slot and put it in the church news. My point is, is like, how do you begin talking to God? You just talk to him. I told my daughter, I said, just talk to him like you talk to me. That's where you start. Talk to him like you talk to me. Tim Keller Amazing pastor, author, teacher, went to be with the Lord. Such a sad moment for us as a generation of Christians. He said this, the only person who can wake up the king for a glass of water at three in the morning 
is his child. We have the same access. We must understand, like any parent, God the Father would do anything for our kids. Yes, parenthood is challenging. I'm up at five or six most mornings with them. Uh, you know, sometimes there's four of us in the bed and trying to get them out, trying to have some time with my wife, and it's just kids everywhere. It's challenging. Parenthood is challenging. But they know, even if I'm studying for a sermon or praying, that they can interrupt me anytime. I'll never say, look, I'm in prayer. Can you just give me half an hour? They can interrupt me anytime. As a father, God forsook his own son, Jesus, once so that he would never, ever forsake us. That's the gospel. So I want to encourage you just to the men in the church, just for a moment, and this is in parenthesis, but like I was saying earlier, I think one of the greatest discipleship challenges in our generation, in our world right now, is fatherlessness. And we're going to look at this over the next year in more detail, but men in the natural and indeed the spiritual, God is wanting to use us to raise sons that heal in people their broken image and broken identity. For women, it's often more natural. For men, it's a decision and it's a choice rather than instinct. And so the challenge to us as fathers in the faith, and so you don't have to have any kids, but if you're a father in the faith, you're a role model. And to really help raise sons and daughters of significance in our world, they're looking for men who are consistent, who are, in many respects, predictable, who are present, who are role models, who deal with our own brokenness so that we can not pass it on to the next generation. And so we need to be involved with people, particularly children, particularly with those who are raising in the faith. It's a huge, huge discipleship issue that will affect how people view God, and it starts with us as men in the church. And there's a lot of toxic masculinity out there in the world right now, also in the church. But we've got to be men who die to our pride, get on our knees, start there, and model what does it mean to be men of God so others can look to us and say, I want to follow Christ how you follow Christ. That is our honor. Hallowed be your name. This is about worship. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The reason we sing songs like we did this morning and we pray often the way we do first in worship is to lift the name of God up. That he is sanctified. He is set apart. He is God. He's different. There's no one like him. There are eight names compounded with the name, the Old Testament name for God in the Old Testament, Jehovah. I'm just going to go through some of these because I think it gives us an idea because when you understand a name, you understand someone's nature. 
God is our righteousness. God is the one who sanctifies. God is the one who is there. God is our peace. God is the one who heals. God is the one who provides. God is the one who is our banner. So he's our deliverance and salvation. He is our shepherd. These names represent who he is. And so when we know him and we come to him, we know this is who our God is. And church, as a Jesus people, in our culture right now, as a remnant people, we have to make sure that our lives represent the hallowedness, the holiness, the set-apartness of him. How we live day in, day out will either dishonor or hallow the name of Jesus. And so that's what's so wonderful as we pray. We understand who we're coming to and we're hallowing the name of Jesus. But as we do that, we recognize, and it's what happens in prayer. It's like a boomerang effect. We begin to see our own lives. And we say, look, we bear the name of Jesus and our lives must reflect that in everything that we do. Because we want our world to be set apart for him. We want our city to be set apart for him. Therefore, we value his name. We value many things in life, don't we? Our family, money, job. But it all has to fall under the supreme value of his name, of his fame, of his character. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, is about recognizing who he is, his name, and the size of the God that we worship. And that's again what's so wonderful is we pray and we praise. It's why worship is so important and singing songs about God's nature is we recognize actually how small often our problems are in comparison to how big and great and glorious God is. This is why worship is so important to hallow the name of God. It is about perspective and it is about lifting up the name of Jesus to which every, every knee one day will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord and one day everybody will have to do that but we get to do it to our own will and own choice and own decision every single day to bow the knee to Christ and to lift up his name. Is that your prayer? Every single day, Jesus, this is for your glory. Jesus, this is that your name is lifted high in my neighborhood, amongst my family, at work, wherever I go, is so that the name of Jesus is lifted high. And so, I'd like us all to stand. And we're going to finish by, I'm going to do this every single week, we're going to recite the Lord's Prayer together. And the prayer that we often use in liturgy today uh, is a combination of the two texts we find in Luke's Gospel and Matthew's Gospel. And it's been adapted for the, it was adapted many, many years ago for um, the early Christian communities. And so that's why they've added um, a very biblical, uh, what you call a doxology at the end, where we give glory to God for who he is. And so um, that's why I want us to pray out loud together. And as we pray this, 
I want us to pray with real sense of boldness from our heart. And I pray that each week as we do this, we, we gain a, a momentum of revelation of who God is and our motives in prayer. And we begin to see the power in it week by week. And so let's pray this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hall Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.